upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed. When you are disservice, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done.
take your copy of God's Word this morning, and if you will, find your place again in the book of 1 Peter, and we're on into the fourth chapter today, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 together, and I want to share two stories with you to begin today. The first one is about Ruby and Laura, and Ruby and Laura were both killed in West Africa back in 2000 because the brakes of their car failed and sent them over a cliff. Now, Ruby and Laura were both in their, they were around 80 years old. And they were still serving Jesus. Ruby was single all of her life. She had as the mission of her life uh, to glorify God and make Him known to the unreached people groups, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, and she used her her medical training, because she was a medical doctor, uh, to serve right alongside her friend Ruby. And the people of Cameroon, West Africa, knew these precious ladies, and many of them came to know and love the same Jesus that Ruby and Laura loved. The second story is about a couple who were aged 51 and 59. They were very successful in business and they had the funds to live as they wanted. And they took early retirement. In fact, they took retirement five years earlier and they began to sit back and to enjoy their funds and their success and their nest egg. And they moved to Punta Gorda, Florida. And they reported, they told how they spent their days down in Florida. They spend their days cruising in their 30-foot trawler. They spend their days playing softball. And they spend their days collecting seashells. Two stories. Now let me ask you today... Who got it right? Who got it right? Ruby and Laura, still in their 80s, still serving Jesus, who are killed when their brakes go out and they careen over a cliff? Or this couple, aged 51 and 59, who've been so successful that they can just spend their time collecting seashells? Who got it right? Who was wiser? Whose life really counts when it's all said and done? I ran across a sentence this past week and I jotted it down. And it said, it's not a bad idea for us to stop every now and then and ask ourselves what we live for. So I want to ask you that question today. What are you living for today? What are you living for today? Now be honest, don't answer out loud, but in your own heart, in your mind, what are you living for today? Because everybody lives for something or someone. You know, beloved, I hope that we remember and recognize that we're going to stand before God one day and we're going to give an account for the way we spend our lives. And can you imagine standing before God after Him giving you a life and blessings and health and strength and all kinds of things standing before God 
And all you have to show him are the seashells you collected as you cruised along in your trawler, living for yourself. But for some, it's not seashells. It's keys to houses and cars. It's bank statements and stocks and bonds. For others, it's degrees and positions and places of power. And for others, it's trinkets and treasures and memories of fun that they had. How tragic it is to waste your life living for what does not really matter. And you say, preacher, why do you bring this up today? Well, I didn't. Peter did. You know, when you study through a book, it's interesting. The Lord sets the schedule. You go from verse to verse and passage to passage. And we come to the fourth chapter. And I want you to see what it says here in chapter 4, verses 1 and six, one through 6. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now notice what it says in verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, that is in his body, his life, his physical life, for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, in this passage, we see a stark contrast between the will of God and the will of the Gentiles. And when you read the will of the Gentiles there, don't think so much just about the fact that they're not Jews. It's talking about ungodly people. The same things in Matthew 6. It talks about the Gentiles, talking about ungodly people. And there's a stark contrast between the will of God and the will of the ungodly person. And as I told the youth this morning, as we were studying Matthew 6, it talked about the Gentiles and, and living that way. That when it comes to ungodly people, we often think about the most horrible people in society. But the reality is we can look very nice and very polished and still be ungodly. In fact, a lot of people are. And so he gives us some counsel. He tells us some things we need to do. And he says right away in 1 Peter chapter 4 that we're to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. And that means we're just to have the same attitude, the same purpose of Christ, the same mind of Christ, to think like Christ thinks. But before he says that, he reminds us of the suffering of Christ. Did you notice that? It says there in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. He's referring back to the sufferings of Christ he talked about in chapter 3. In verse 18, we studied last time. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that is, He died upon the cross for us, but made alive by the Spirit, He's resurrected today. And by the way, friend, because He's died... 
for you, and because he's resurrected, you can have eternal life if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. But he reminds us of the sufferings of Christ, and then he says, listen, because of the sufferings of Christ, I want you to have the mind, the attitude, the same purpose that Christ had. And so the question is, what does that look like? What is that? What is the mind of Christ? What is it? What was his purpose? And the next verse tells us. And reminds us what his purpose was. Look at verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but the will of God. What was the mind of Christ? The will of God. When you look at the earthly life of the Lord Jesus, what was it always about? I must be about what? My father's business. He said that at the age of 12. I must be about my father's business. He was always doing the father's business. It was always the will of God. He came to do the will of God. And so to have the same mind of Christ, the purpose and attitude of Christ is to desire the will of God in your life. And this kind of mind wants the will of God. And by the way, that includes ceasing from sin. That includes choosing suffering if necessary. Notice it says in verse 1 again, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh, when we suffer in the flesh, we cease from sin. Not sinless perfection, but certainly a lot less sinning. In other words, we would choose suffering Instead of sinning. Did you know that happens in our lives? We have to choose suffering over sin. Put your finger there in First Peter, if you don't have a marker there, and turn to Hebrews 11. I want to show you this. This idea of suffering instead of sinning. When I read that, I couldn't help but think about Moses. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, you remember, is the hall of faith talks about the faith of the men and women of God. And we see a picture of choosing suffering over sin in Moses' life in Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 23. Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 29. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Remember, the command was to throw him into the river and be done with him. By faith, Hebrews eleven twenty four, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I want you to notice Hebrews eleven twenty five. Notice what it says. And remember, we just read in First Peter chapter four concerning suffering instead of sinning. And look at Hebrews eleven twenty five, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of what. Of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. For he looked to the reward by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He kept his eyes on the Lord. He kept his eyes on the future. He kept his eyes on eternity. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he was destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You see, Moses had the mind of Christ. And Moses chose the will of God over the will of himself. The will of the ungodly. And so we have to have the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ. And that is, we must desire above all things the will of God in all things and the will of God for our lives. So I ask you, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you think like Christ thinks? Do you think biblically? 
Do you look at things biblically? Do you look at your life biblically? Do you really want the will of God? Do you really want the mind of Christ? Because we're reminded to have the will of Christ, we live for the will of God. Look at verse 2. You're back in 1 Peter 4 now. 1 Peter 4, 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We see another contrast here. This time it's between the lust of men, the desires of men, and the will of God. And can I just tell you that they are contrary to one another. The lust of men and the will of God are contrary to one another. Uh, jot this reference down and list in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, remember what it says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And you remember that's how temptation comes. That's how Satan tempted Eve. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's how Satan tempted Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Go back and study those passages. You'll see exactly that's the route he took. But he says, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God, see it, abides forever. And so you have the lust of men and the will of God and the choice that we make because you can't have both. And when we come to faith in Christ, beloved, a change takes place. When we come to faith in Christ, it's kind of like we have our B.C. and our A.C. lights. B.C. and A.C. lights. Not talking about B.C. powder and air conditioning. B.C. before Christ, our lives before Christ, without Christ. And then our A.C. lives after Christ. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, these words. You back in our passage, look at verse 3. For we spent enough of our past lifetime, B.C., before Christ, spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, the ungodly. And then he gives some examples. When we walked in lewdness, And lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And by the way, I find it so interesting, the emphasis there upon alcohol and drinking and intoxication, where it says drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In case you're wondering, no, I cannot give you a verse that says you cannot drink alcohol. But I can give you a lot of verses that, tell, that warn you about it and the danger of it. And to be careful, it's a mocker. And I can tell you about dealing with people who've been broken because somebody gave in to alcohol. And I find it very interesting that that's what it talks about here. Before their lives are characterized by the lusts of men, they were dominated by sin just like our lives were. And what we have here is a picture of people trying to cover up the emptiness and the void that exists in their lives with what? With booze and sex and parties, drinking to the point, intoxicating to the point of being lewd. Why? Because there's a void in their life. And they're trying to cover it. 
And our world is filled with people who are trying to cover the void that can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's an emptiness about them. And they're trying everything and anything to fill that and nothing will except Jesus. And He says to you, listen, if you belong to Christ, you've done enough of that. We spend enough of our life doing that. We spend enough of our life living for ourselves. Now, I'll be honest with you, this sounds trite, and you've heard this saying before, and you've heard people say this before, but I'm going to tell you with me, it is not a trite saying. It is as real as me standing here. I do not know how people make it in this life without Jesus Christ. I do not know how they make it. I can't make it a day without Jesus in my life. In fact, I can't make it a moment without Him. I can't imagine. And I lived that way at one point in my life before Christ. But what I experienced in my life, I can't imagine walking through what I've been through without the Lord Jesus at my side, carrying me. I don't know how they do it. And I'm not surprised that they give themselves to all these things to try to cope with everything they're dealing with. I'm not surprised that people take their lives. Not surprised they reached that point of hopelessness because without Christ there is no hope. And yet He's called us to do what? To share that hope and point people to Christ and say He is the answer. He's the one you're looking for. And yet how can we do that if we're filling our lives with these very things? There's a change that takes place. As believers, we don't need all this stuff anymore. We've got Jesus. And He reminds these believers that when you do follow Jesus... The crowd that you used to run with, they're not going to like it. You ever heard the saying, misery loves company? Yeah. See, sinners love to congregate. And when you're there and you leave, they realize you leave. And they think, what's so strange? Where's 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 Susie at now? She used to be here with us. She used to party with us. She used to do these things. And now what's happened to Susie? I heard she's going to church. Can you imagine that? I heard she gives her Sunday morning. I heard she's serving. I heard, I heard she gives her money to church. She even talked to me about Jesus. And they, they sit there and they wonder and they sign. He said, what are you talking about? Well, look at the next verse. Look at verse 4. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Why? Because when you're made new in Christ, you're different. And when you live for Christ, and your life is all about Christ, then people around you are going to notice. And praise be to God, some are going to be drawn to Christ. And others are going to be repelled. And it says here that they are going to think it's strange and they're going to speak evil. They're going to slander you. They're going to speak evil of you. And this works out to be another example of the fact that we have to choose suffering over sin. Have the mind of Christ, live for the will of God, and then remember eternity is coming. Verses 5 and 6. Let's deal with verse 6 first. It's a difficult one to interpret. In fact, it's one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to interpret. You remember last week we had another part that was very difficult. Verse 6 is very difficult. It says in verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. And there's the difficulty. 
that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And as I studied this and looked at it, as far as I can tell, from what I've learned and what others have taught, what he's talking about are those that have been martyred for their faith. In other words, they've been judged by men in the flesh. They've been judged and put to death, but they're actually more alive than ever. And so I think we have a picture of the martyrs there. But verse 5 is not quite as difficult. It's a little easier. And it's speaking of those who do not know God, but are busy slandering their former friends who now know Him. Look at verse 5. He just talked about the fact that they speak evil of you, those who you used to run with that you don't run with anymore. It says in verse 5, they will give an account to Him that is God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, whether they're alive at His coming or they have already died, they're going to stand before God. But can I just tell you the truth of the matter is all of us are going to give an account to God. Eternity is coming. This is not all that there is. And by the way, can I just tell you, you're a lot older than you were when I first got here. And can I just tell you, I'm a lot older too. And can I just tell you that time is marching on. Can I just tell you that eternity is coming. We may not make it out those doors. We may not make it down the road before we step into eternity. And we're going to give an account to God. Which brings me back to that question we asked earlier. What are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for Jesus? Now, a lot of people have the idea that living for Jesus is a life of drudgery and a life of misery. And the reason they feel that way is because they don't know God. And they have in their mind that God is the great cosmic killjoy. And they have in their mind that God is a God who sits in heaven and he looks for people that are having fun so he can strike them down. And any little bit of joy that they seize in their life, he zaps it away. And can I just say to you, if that's what you think of God, you don't know God. You see, living for Jesus is the greatest life that you can ever live. It's the most joyful life you can ever live. But I'm not going to be honest, though. It's not an easy life. In fact, there are real battles at times. If someone told you come to Jesus and all of your problems are going to be solved and it's never going to rain on your parade and just everything's just going to be wonderful in your life from then on, they lie to you. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible says you come to Jesus and follow Jesus, you'll have more trouble. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. 
And we've seen it over and over again here in the book of 1 Peter. When you live for Jesus, it causes more problems. Why? Because you don't run with the crowd. You're swimming upstream. You're going opposite direction of most people. (laughs) You see, we live in a world where a message is screamed at us from every direction. Live for yourself. Live for yourself. Make your dreams come true. Build yourself up. Make a name for yourself. Watch out for yourself. Make it all about yourself. Fulfill your ambition. Fulfill your desires. Live for yourself. And when you look at it, Ruby and Laura look pretty foolish, don't they? I mean, the one never got married and gave her life to serving others and serving Jesus. The other was a widow who went and served Jesus. They left their home and went to West Africa. They're in their 80s. And they're driving along. And I just have to wonder, I don't know. The brakes went out on the car. I don't don't know if they were driving a Mercedes or something like that. I just have to wonder. They're on the side of a cliff in a very difficult place. And people of the world would look at that and say, what a waste. What a waste, those two ladies wasting their golden years dying that way. And we look at it and we say, wow, that couple, they're 51 and 59 and already retired. And they have enough money to go down to Florida. And they have enough money to buy a 30-foot trawler. And their day is just filled with cruising around on that thing and playing softball and collecting seashells and just living the good life. It looks like those two are the wise ones. But you see, that's looking with human eyes. That's not having the mind of Christ. That's having the mind of the ungodly. When you step back and look at it with the eyes of God. Those two precious ladies gave their lives for Jesus and for others. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What did He say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He added on these words, and the second's like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And can you remember He said this too, no greater love have any man than to lay down his life for his friends. And I can guarantee you, beloved, when Ruby and Laura stand before God, he's going to say what to them? Well done, my faithful servant. You see, you've got to remember eternity's coming. 
And the Bible says what? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? When I sit at my desk in my study and I look up to my left, there's a sign that my wife bought me for my birthday. And it just has two words on it. I'll show you a picture of it. It just says only... Jesus. And um, that phrase is special to me because of uh, the song that it came from. And I have to remind myself of this often because I'll just be honest with you. Serving Jesus as you've probably found out, is not always glorious and glamorous. And I'll just tell you, being a pastor is not always glorious and glamorous. And I hear the message too. Live for yourself. But see, that phrase, only Jesus, came from a song by a Christian group called Casting Crowns. And I want to read the words to that song to you today. Make it count. Leave a mark. Build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams. Chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But don't turn off the song yet. It goes on to say, but all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the line when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And the refrain, the chorus says this, and I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. And I, I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to Him. Only Jesus. And it goes on to say these words, and they're so powerful. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really matters is did I live the truth to the ones I love. Was, was my life the proof that there's only one whose name will last forever? And I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if you remember me. Only Jesus. And I've only got one life to live. And I want every to point to Him. Only Jesus. And I place that there to remind me every time I look at it, this is not about me!
Only Jesus. He's the only name worthy. He's the only name that will live forever. Only Jesus. Who are you living for today? What are you living for today? What are you telling your kids? What are you teaching them? What are you talking to them about? Please, tell them. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Father, We only have one life. And it is going by quickly. And I realize today there may be those here who have never met you. They don't know how good you are. They don't know how glorious you are. They don't know how wonderful you are. And they may have gotten glimpses of the goodness that you've given them. But Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will touch their heart today and show them that Jesus is the one they've been looking for. The reason they found no satisfaction, the reason they've been struggling so, is because only Jesus can satisfy the longing of their heart. And I pray today, if there's anyone like that, that today will be the day where your Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and has them come and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, it is good for us to stop once in a while and ask ourselves that question. What am I living for? What am I giving my life for? What am I spending my time doing and my money and my energy and my resources? What am I teaching my kids? What am I saying to them? Where am I pointing them? God help us. Lord, the world is screaming at us. Our own desires and our lusts to be somebody and to be known. We battle that. But Lord, anything we don't do for you is going to burn up and mean absolutely nothing. So Lord, I pray today, you've spoken to my heart. I pray today that you'd have your will in every life in this room. And that we would all say, only Jesus. Jesus is the only name to remember. So, Father, have your will and your way in this invitation, I pray. Be glorified in this place. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn.
509. My faith looks up to Thee, Thou Lamb of Calvary. The altar is open today if you need to be saved. We would love to help you with that. We have others who will be glad to talk with you. If you want to come and pray today, maybe you need to come and you need to recommit your life to Christ. And just kneel and say, Lord, I, I, I give you it all. Maybe you've been living for yourself. Maybe you've been teaching your kids the wrong things. Whatever it is, why don't you come today? You don't have to come to me. You come to the altar. And you, if you want prayer, we'll be glad to pray. But you just come and kneel today and say, only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus. 509, you come as God leads you. My faith looks up to you.